Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I'd like to be a Disney dad again and answer some of your Disney-related questions. Remember, you can send me any questions you like to davesdisneyview at gmail.com, and I'm happy to take them on and answer your questions. They could be questions about the theme parks, about uh, trip planning, about really anything Disney-related. But before I get to your emails, I'd like to provide one piece of listener feedback I received. Here's Doug to tell us about Disney cruising. Hey there, Dave. It's Doug, your friendly neighborhood monorail voice. And I just thought I would give you a shout because my family and I just got done with a Disney cruise not too long ago. And it was our first time going on a cruise at all. And it was definitely, obviously, our first time going on a Disney cruise. And we had a great time. But I thought I would share five things that I learned as a result. And I'm sure there are lots of other great things that other people might want to share as well. But these were five tips that I came across that might make somebody else's cruise just a little bit better. Number five, in planning for my trip, I went online, I did my research, and I came across something on the Diz boards. This is the fish extender. And a fish extender is, well, first of all, when you go on a Disney cruise, there's a little fish outside of your door. It's a clip. And Disney will stick reminders in there. If you have a special dinner reservation or a trip to the spa plan, they'll put a card up there to remind you that, you know, hey, you've got this coming up. Well, some folks hang these little pockets off of the fish. They look like kind of like shoe organizers, and they're called fish extenders. And basically, you get together with a bunch of other people that are on your cruise, and everybody says, okay, I will bring a special treat for all of the other rooms, and then during the course of the cruise, you go around and play Santa Claus and drop your treat into everyone else's fish extender, and they do the same for you. It was a really neat thing, and my son just got such a kick out of it every day, checking the fish extender to see what people had stuck in there. And so that was a lot of fun. Tip number two, the lights in your room are controlled by a little slot just inside the door. Now, what Disney recommends is that you take your key to the world card little credit card type card that you use for opening your door and charging and, and identifying yourself basically all around the ship. They suggest you take your key to the world card and stick it in there, and then that will allow you to control your lights and also your air conditioning. What you need to know, though, is it doesn't have to be that card. It doesn't even have to have a magnetic strip on it. It just needs to be a credit card-sized plastic card that you can stick in there that actually just triggers a little switch down at the bottom of this plate. So if you've got um, a library card or a frequent shopper card for your favorite grocery store, that'll work just as well. So bring along an extra card and that way you don't have to worry about leaving the room with your card still stuck in the door. 
Number three, there's all kinds of excursions you can go on, but I wanted to share with you my favorite of our trip. And it was great because it was a lot of fun and it didn't cost very much at all. This is the Stingray Expedition on Castaway Key. Now, my wife went parasailing, and that costs a lot of money, and there are other things that you can do, such as running jet skis and all kinds of other things. This was $35 per person, which for some people might be expensive, but in the grand scheme of things, the way that Disney charges, I think it's a great deal. We got about an hour uh, spending time in their Stingray Lagoon. It's an, it's an enclosed area, and they've got about, oh, I don't know, maybe 40 or so Stingrays in this lagoon. Now, what you do is you are issued some uh, snorkel gear, and you go out in groups to these little floating uh, feeding trays. And the stingrays actually swim up into the feeding tray and you get to feed the stingray. You put your hand down flat with a piece of squid in there and they will actually swim over top of you and it feels kind of like a, a vacuum and it will suck up the, the piece of squid and keep on going. So you get to feed the stingrays. Then after you're done, they put the feeding trays back on the beach and you get to don your snorkel gear and actually go out into the lagoon and just kind of cruise over top of these amazing creatures. And it's just really cool. It's very safe. They explain how, you know, everybody is a little bit worried sometimes when they remember uh, the crocodile hunter and, and unfortunately how he passed away with a, a sort of similar situation. But what they do in the Disney Lagoon is they keep a very close eye on all of their animals. It's very much like Disney's Animal Kingdom. They feed them, they take care of them, and they trim the barb so you don't have to worry about that. But it's an amazing experience. It's about an hour long. And trust me, if you get the opportunity to do it, by all means, book it and go enjoy, have some fun. Speaking of fun, one of the things that we love to do is my tip number four, and that's the aqueduct. Now, the aqueduct in and of itself is a lot of fun, but sometimes it can be really crowded. Our server one night in the dining room said, you know, hey, are you having fun? What are you doing? And we said, well, one of the things that we're really enjoying a lot is the aqueduct. He said, here's a little tip. So my tip from our server is this. If you don't have anything planned in the evening, and there are a lot of evening activities, and folks go off and do those sorts of things, go up on to the deck and ride the aqueduct at night. One night, my son and I went up there, and in an hour's time, we got in four rides back-to-back. -back. It was amazing, a lot of fun, and at night, it's really cool because they light the tube up that you travel through. So ride the aqueduct, and by all means, check it out at night. My final tip is if you are a regular to the Disney parks, then you no doubt know about pin trading. Well, if you're a pin trader, be sure and bring your pins because there are opportunities to trade on the boat. I did find that there were cast members outside of Cabanas, which is one of the buffets that is available throughout the day. And you can go up just as you would with any other cast member at Disney World or Disneyland and trade pins with them right there. But the really cool part is on the final night of the cruise, you get a chance to trade with the officers. They meet in the, in the atrium and, uh, and they all have lanyards on. They even pick uh, one of the kids to be an honorary pin trader. 
And there are all kinds of cool pins, some of which you may have seen and some of which may be unique to the cruise line. So if you are a pin trader, bring your pins. So there you have it. Get involved in a fish extender. Make sure and bring along that card for your lights. Check out the stingrays if you have a chance. Ride the aqueduct at night and bring those pins. Oh, and by the way, if you want to manage those pins, don't forget, there's a little application and I think I know a guy who can hook you up, tell you some details about how you can manage your pins. So there you have it, my five tips. Thanks for letting me come on the show, and you all have a magical day. Thanks, Doug. Our first question uh, comes to us from Tina. She asks, hi, is there free Wi-Fi in the Disney World parks? Well, Tina, unfortunately, in the parks themselves, there is no Wi-Fi that's available to guests. However, in each of the resort hotels, you do have Wi-Fi. It's available in any room, any category of room. Uh, You just have to log into the Wi-Fi, and you can have access to it. Well, that seems unlikely. Yes. Yes, it does. Hey, not so fast, Dave. As of August 1st, there is complimentary Wi-Fi service now available at the Magic Kingdom... Guests with wireless-enabled devices can now connect to the complimentary network by locating the network. It's called Disney-Guest. Select and connect, and then accepting the terms and conditions. Once connected, you'll be connected to the network in locations where Wi-Fi network is readily available. If you've already connected the device to Disney Wi-Fi network at a Walt Disney World Resort Hotel public space, you will not be prompted to accept the terms and conditions again. Complimentary Wi-Fi is planned to be available at the Walt Disney World theme parks in downtown Disney over the next few months. So... Delay what I said before, because now it's available. Awesome! I'm going to go check it out! I did find that when I was staying at the All-Star Resorts, it was a little slow, but at least it was available and allowed me to check my email and uh, be able to check on a couple of things while I was sitting in the resort. So I hope that helps a little bit. Next up is a question from Dan. Hi, I'm new to owning a smartphone, an iPhone to be specific. But just the thought of getting on some of the rougher rides has me thinking maybe I should leave it in the room locked up. But my question is... Have you taken your smartphone to the park? How do you keep it protected when getting on some of the rougher rides? I do intend to keep it wrapped in a Ziploc, but my main fear is getting on, like, the Rock and Roller Coaster or Space Mountain, getting off and finding my brand-new iPhone cracked. I thought about, instead, maybe using the camera case where I have for an old camera, and uh, maybe that would be a little bigger and put both the camera and iPhone in it. Will it be safe to put my camera and digital phone together? Please excuse my ignorant question. Well, hey, Dan, it's a good question. And, uh, you know, I'm someone who takes my iPhone everywhere. I went ahead and invested in a company, uh, invested in a product called the uh, OtterBox for my phone. And I've got the big, heavy one on my iPhone. And you know what? It's a big, clunky thing, and it probably doubles the weight of my iPhone. But I really don't have to worry about it that way. I can drop it. I can do whatever. It can get wet. And it really does protect my iPhone. I had another iPhone that I used to use. It was an old 3G that I used to carry around. And I carried it with me, and I went on just about everything. Now, those of you who don't know me, I don't ride on some of the heavier roller coasters. But I have had it in my pocket on some of the different rides. I've managed to wind up sitting on it, you know, where it would be in like a side pocket of cargo pants, and I'd roll over on it a little bit. I had it on a seat uh, behind me in one ride. I don't remember why I put it there, but it rolled across and slammed into the uh, other side of the car. And those kinds of things didn't do any damage to it. They are well-designed devices that uh, can pretty well protect you. But with the OtterBox or something similar, you can really protect your iPhone from a lot of damage. You you know, you want to treat it nicely, but you have to still treat it like a device, right? You still have to be able to carry it around with you. 
putting it in the uh, package with your camera, nothing wrong with that either. You can certainly do that as you're going into different different attractions if, you, if you're a little worried about it. I might just put a little divider in there so it doesn't bang against the camera. That may actually cause more damage to one or both. Um, so you just want to be careful with it. And speaking of iPhone... Uh, I just wanted to remind you that I have two really cool apps out there that you guys may want to check out. The first one is a Hidden Mickeys app uh, that lets you uh, look for Hidden Mickeys in the parks. Uh, And you can uh, contribute to the uh, database as well by finding a Hidden Mickey and just go ahead and taking a picture of it and submitting it. Um, And I'll put a link to that on my uh, show notes if you want to check it out. You can also go to DisneyPodcast.net and go over to the left side link and click on iPhone apps, and there'll be a link there as well. I have one for for the iPhone, and I have one for the iPad. So they're both really cool apps that I hope you enjoy. I also have another app that helps you with pin trading. And uh, what you can do is take pictures of all of your pins and then create, create a wish list of pins that you're looking for. So that way, as you're trading pins in the park, you can quickly assess whether you have that pin or not because you have the picture of it. And you can kind of flip through the cover flow or you can create, uh, just look at the listing of them and you can do some different things to find the pins that you already have or the ones you're looking for. And again, that's available. I'll put, some, put the link in my show notes. It's also available on the iPhone apps over on the left-hand side. So I'd encourage you to use those too because they're great. Brian asks, I had a quick question about the weather. It seems like the water parks are going to be a good idea since it's so hot out. However, do they shut down the parks when it rains? I'm hoping there are just short rain showers while, while we're there, but I'd hate to make, make it all the way to the water park and then it shuts down due to the rain. What do you think? Okay, I've been to the water parks many times, and I can tell you I've been there when it rains hard, I've been there when it rains light, and I've been there in between. If it's a very light rainstorm and it's just a passing rain shower, they look at the radar and they determine whether there's uh, the incidence of lightning or the potential for a storm to develop. And if it's just a small rain passing cloud, they'll let you stay in the water. As soon as it looks like anything more than that, they'll get everyone out of the pools and make you exit the pools and at least go somewhere else where you're not uh, touching the water. What they don't want to have is lightning hit the water and someone get killed. So they'll ask you to exit the pools. But you don't have to exit the park necessarily. That's up to you. And then there's the third category of when it's a storm, an actual storm that has thunderclouds and it's a nasty thing, they will actually evacuate the park and ask you to leave the park. Uh, In those cases, you can head to your car if you happen to have driven. You could head to the bus and leave. If it happens that they reopen the park that same day, you can go back in with your same ticket and go back into into the water park. But typically what you find is the one in the middle, where it's this rainstorm that's a passing rainstorm that may have some lightning associated with it, and they'll evacuate the pools, but they don't make you leave the park. So you can just kind of hang out and wait for it to pass. Now, what you also find is that when that happens, a lot of people will leave the park because they think, oh, you know, it's not going to open back up. They're gonna, we're going to have to leave. But this is Florida. In Florida, rainstorms tend to pass fairly quickly, whether they're heavy or not, and you can get back in the pool within, say, an hour. So if you just find a you know, quiet place to sit down, you'll be fine. Uh, and you can just kind of hang out and wait for the pools to reopen. I've done that a few times where you just kind of hang out and just wait. And, uh, you know, it works out pretty well. You can just kind of go back in the water as soon as the uh, storm has passed. They'll give the all clear and let you go back in. So you kind of have to manage it a little bit on your own. You know, you might want to just take a look at the weather before you go out for the day. If it looks like there's going to be a rainstorm late in the afternoon, maybe you go early in the day and spend part of your day there. And then if it does happen to rain and you have to leave, then that's fine. You've spent a good portion of the day there. And again, if they do evacuate the park, you can get back in. So just kind of keep that in mind as you plan. So my my basic perspective is just go and enjoy it. Don't worry about it. Just take a look at the weather to make sure it's not going to be like raining and thundering all day because you might want to pick a different day to go in the parks. Uh, but if, if it's not, then you can go and hang out and uh, just enjoy the water parks and have fun with them. They're great.
On a related note, a guy named Mike says, what do I do when it rains at the parks? And this is one of those things that I get from time to time, and I'll answer people about this. My friends will ask me about this too. You know, I've never really been to Disney or you know, any of the parks when it's raining. What do I do? And my answer is, I think it's actually more fun when it rains, especially during the summer, because the summers here are dog hot. I mean, it is really hot, much like it is in rest of the, the rest of the country. But the humidity is really high as well, so they're really hot and humid days. So when a rainstorm comes in, it tends to cool it off a little bit, which is kind of nice. And if it's just a drive, you know, if it's one of these typical Florida storms where it's going to come by and then pass and then maybe a little more rain later and then there's, it dries out for a while and there's a little more rain, those really aren't so bad. You can easily navigate those. What I'll do is I'll wear a poncho and I'll just wear water shoes that I don't mind getting wet because they're probably going to get wet. And I'll go around and I'll just go to the different attractions I want to go to. If a really heavy rain comes, and I know it's only going to last for a period of time because that's the way Florida is, I will go ahead and duck into a shop or duck into a restaurant or maybe even go to a show or attraction that's indoors and visit that for a while. And then after that rain, that rainstorm passes, I'll go back out and go to the next thing. The advantage you have when you do it this way is that uh, people tend to leave. As soon as that heavy rain comes one time, people clear out of the park. And then you have the park to yourself, relatively speaking, of course, to be able to go out and enjoy yourself and walk around the park and have some fun and really have less wait time because people have left because it was raining. I had a friend going up, growing up whose mom hated it when it rained. They'd drive up to Disney from South Florida. They'd go in the parks, and if it started raining, they'd turn around and come home. I know that sounds totally crazy, but they go, oh, we hate it when it rains up there. So they would try and plan their trips accordingly so they didn't have to go through the rain. Me, i just go up there and have some fun with it. You make the best of situations as they come up. So you take advantage of the rain and the fact that it's a little cooler and you're wearing a poncho and you're staying relatively dry and you, you, know, you go into different uh, rides and shows. When it starts raining hard, head over to one of those uh, rides that usually has a long wait time because you're going to see that people are going to drop out of the wait because they don't want to wait. Uh, they don't want to have to deal with the rain. So it's all good. All right, next question comes from Molly. Hi, I'm attempting to hit rope drop for our day at the Magic Kingdom, but I'm not sure how much time to allow if we're using Disney transportation. Do you know approximately how much time we should allow if we're staying at the old Key West Resort? Thanks for your help. Well, Molly, the answer is with Disney transportation, you always should allow for one hour between any two points. It doesn't matter what the two points are. Now, the old Key West Resort is relatively close to the Magic Kingdom's entrance, which is great. And if you happen to hit it on a good day and you get it just right and you're on the fifth stop of the five stops in the old Key West Resort, I think it's five stops anyway, you might actually make it to the Magic Kingdom in 15 minutes. You might get really lucky and it happens that way. But you don't know what time the buses are going to come. They come about every 20 minutes or so. Sometimes there's traffic. Sometimes there's other delays. Sometimes there's an issue with uh, somebody who needs uh, assistance getting on or off the bus and that delays the bus. They may be bringing more buses on the routes. There may be a longer time to get there uh, while they're bringing more buses on. So you never really know. So what they tell you is always allow for one hour. Between those two destinations, I might cut it a little bit to maybe, say, 45 minutes-ish. But you always want to kind of think about uh, getting there, leaving yourself enough time to get there uh, by allowing about 45 minutes. If you happen to be at the first stop and you have to wait 20 minutes for a bus and it's got to go through all the other four stops and then you still need to get to the Magic Kingdom, it could take as long as 45 minutes to get there. So just kind of plan that accordingly. What you may want to do is go ahead and get there earlier. Um, You know, just go ahead and queue up a little earlier so maybe you give yourself the hour to get there. And that way you don't have to worry about it and you'll be there in plenty of time and you're not stressing about it. I hope that helps. 
All right, Freddie asked me, can you please explain the ticketing options to me? I'm not sure where to start. Uh, and I, I'm looking at all these different ticket options, and I'm a little bewildered. Well, the good news is Disney is better than most other places in terms of their ticket combinations. It's pretty simple. You have a base ticket. You have your Magic Your Way, which allows you to uh, make some adjustments to it. You can add uh, water park tickets or uh, Disney Quest tickets to it, and then you can, uh, you can adjust the number of days you want and whether you want park hopping. That's how simple it is, right? So you just you want to decide what options are going to work best for you, and you want to start to lay out the different criteria that you may want to look at. So if you were to buy a one-day, one-park ticket, the cost is somewhere around $100, and you're going to pay that, and you're going to go in. If you wanted to have park hopping on that ticket just to do one, uh, two parks in the same day or two or more parks in the same day, you would buy a one-day uh, park ticket with park hopper. And I think they add uh, 20-something dollars for that, so it would be like 120 ish dollars to be able to do you know, multiple parks in the same day on a single-day ticket. Uh, so you know, that's kind of how it works. So you want to just lay it out and look at um, how many days you want to be there and where the value lies. What I often do, because they change the prices periodically, I'll pull up like a little spreadsheet and I'll just lay out the days. But if you just look at how many days, whether you want to do a park hopper or not, that means going to multiple parks in the same day, whether you want to add the water parks and more to your ticket, you want to think about all that stuff, and then you're going to start to put it together. So you're going to look at, okay, I'm going to be there for four days. I want Park Hopper. I don't care about the expiration because I'm going to use all four days, and I'll just go through and, and set up my ticket. I want Park Hopper four days. You know, maybe I'm not leaving until later in the day on the fifth day, so maybe adding a fifth day might be worthwhile for me or I arrive early enough on the, the day before I was planning on going in the park. So maybe a fifth day would be useful to go ahead and get. You know, those types of things. So you want to kind of think about it. The other thing you want to think about is, do you want to maybe buy a ticket that's, say, a 10-day ticket and uh, go ahead and get the park hopper associated with that and then use it and uh, get no expiration on it? So that way, you could use part of it this trip, maybe four days this trip. The next time you come back, maybe it's a three-day trip and you would use the other three days. And then in a future trip, you would use the other three days. So you would use the 10 over the course of time. There is, if you buy no expiration, it always has value. Generally speaking, for years and years and years and years and years, you can still use the same ticket. You can go ahead and use it again later. If at some point they change their policy, they will give you fair market value for however many days you have left. They've always done that in the past. So that's something to consider. You may want to think about getting a longer, longer ticket. And you could always buy a ticket and decide, you know, if you bought a four-day ticket and you really only wanted to use two days now, you could go back and add the no expiration option as long as it's still within 14 days of the first use, you can still add the no expiration to it. So there's, a, there's something to be said for that as well. They will charge you for the entire length of the ticket, but you can do that. Or you could add park hopper to it as well, but again, it's over the course of the length of the ticket, so you're better off if you want to do it, just go ahead and plan it in advance. There are several sites out there as well that kind of break this down in some great detail. Um, you know, one of the places I like to go is mousesavers.com. If you go out there, they have a listing of, like, all the ticket options, where they all are, are there. In fact, she's got a link. Mary is the person who runs the site. She's got a link over on the left that says, um, I, I don't even know where to start. And you click that link, and she kind of lays it all out very matter-of-factly. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Here's how you decide on it. And she's got some links to a couple of sites that allow you to purchase tickets at a lower price than the retail price. It's not a huge amount lower, but it is better. And uh, there's a couple of options that you may not have seen uh, that are available that way. So I would say, you know, do that and take a look at it. But just think about how many days you want to be there, whether you want to go to multiple parks in the same day, whether you want to go to a water park or something like that. And uh, 
then just think about uh, whether you want to have expiration on it or not, so that way you could hold on to some extra tickets. Totally up to you, and you could always buy an annual pass if that suits you better, too, if you're going to be going a lot of times over the course of a year. So you may want to consider that, too. It's kind of a broad question, but I wanted to at least provide you a starting point so you kind of understand how the uh, theme park tickets work. And then finally today, Tracy asks, what do cast members do for vacations? And then I've heard that you say you live close and go, go on short vacations. What do you do for a longer vacation? Tracy, good questions. Okay, let's start off with the cast members first. Now, remember that cast members typically are hourly employees, and a lot of them are uh, people who are here uh, at Walt Disney World working on a, uh, the college program. Uh, that's why you see a lot of younger-aged kids, you know, college-aged kids working there. So they don't take a lot of vacations because they're only here on a 6-, 12-, or 18-month um, contract to, to, do, to work at Walt Disney World. So they don't tend to take a lot of vacations. They'll do more of the fun, you know, scene-type things. They might go down to Miami, uh, Panama City, go back home, you know, one of those places, you know, maybe over to, um, to Tampa or something. But you see them around uh, the city of Orlando a lot more. I mean, they're, you know, they're in the happiest place on earth. They're living in the vacation kingdom for some period of time. So you'll see them uh, kind of putting some time in there and just having some fun with it and getting their, uh, their college credit. Um, the other cast members, you know, a lot of them are hourly employees, uh, so, you know, you have to, they have to plan accordingly. Um, you know, you get some time off as a, as a cast member, but you have to kind of plan for your vacations and do things and take time off. I've heard about people taking more extensive vacations and going somewhere, you know, going, doing the D.C. or the, you know, going to L.A. or visiting some national historic monument or something along those lines. I do know a couple people who went to Europe, you know, saved up for it and went to Europe and had some fun with it. So certainly people do take vacations, um, much like anyone else does. But going to Disney World, you know, they're doing that every day, right? So they'll uh, head off to the parks on some of their days off and just enjoy themselves. A lot of times people come to visit them. And as a cast member, you get so many people in per quarter, so your family comes to visit and you're getting them in the parks, right? So you're going to go to the parks with them and enjoy it as a guest again instead of being a cast member. So you see that that happens a lot, too, because people come to visit them on their vacations. Uh, so that, uh, that's one thing that I see a lot. Now, as for me personally, we try to plan up a vacation every year or two years where we go somewhere that's a little bit further away. Um, so we've been to the Caribbean. Uh, we've been to uh, New York. We've been to Boston. And we've been up to uh, Cape Cod. And there's some great vacations, and if you plan for it for a week or two and you kind of schedule it up, you kind of have a fun vacation to be able to get away from it all and do something kind of fun. You know, we're always looking for somewhere else to go and uh, experience something different. I think, you know, next year we were talking about potentially going to Washington, D.C. for a couple of weeks during the summer. But you plan those up as a, vac- as a true vacation as opposed to like a weekend trip. You know, a lot of the times that when I go up to Disney World, it's for a weekend trip. It's just a very short trip. It's just, you know, I'm spending relatively little money to be able to go in the parks because I'm buying, you know, my annual pass or I'm buying, you know, some you no know, expiration tickets. So I have that already. So I'm only paying for the hotel cost right, and food, of course. So, you know, those are not really extravagant vacations in that sense. There are some years when that's all we do because, you know, it's you have to afford to be able to go somewhere else. But we tend to do things, you know, uh, thinking about saving up for vacations and thinking about what we'd like to do next. Much like anyone else does, if you live somewhere else in the country and you're thinking about a vacation, you know, it's like, okay, we could go to Disney or we're going to plan for Disney every two years. And every other year we're going to go somewhere else. You know, you're planning up for these vacations and making the most of it so you can really enjoy yourself and do different vacation-type things and have some great opportunities to experience things. So you try to plan accordingly. And we still try to get the Disney trips in as often as we can, but we try to have at least one fun family trip where we go away that's not Disney. My wife likes to think of it as, it's not Disney. You know, it's something else. We, you know, Disney's fun. It's okay. It's great. But we need to do something else. It's a family vacation somewhere else. 
And that's just the way a lot of Floridians think about Disney. It's a great place to go and enjoy yourself, but that's not a vacation. It's just a place to go. It, it, I don't know why that is. I guess it's because you come, become jaded to some degree because it's right here. It's just up the street. I mean, I, I live three hours away from it. When I live there all the time, in a way, you kind of take it for granted. I mean, I went a lot, but you kind of take it for granted. I'm here. I can just go for dinner you know, and have some fun. So that's the way it goes. Well, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember to send me more questions that you have about anything Disney-related. I'm happy to answer them anytime. Just send those emails to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. And in the meantime, remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for taking a ride with us on the Dave's Disney View podcast. Show notes, more information about this podcast, and about other great podcasts on the web, can be found at DisneyPodcast.net. Also, you'll find some links to Dave's iPhone applications. See and share hidden Mickeys, or organize your pins when you go pin trading. Our thanks go to Craig, also known as Sound of Music. Craig produced the original music you hear in this podcast. You can find Craig's work at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA. Also, our thanks go to Doug at GeekAcres.net for his continued contributions to the show. Now, please gather your personal belongings and watch your head and step as you exit. Show number 108.